you're a Yankee fan, Mark. I was just going to ask you, what, who are your top three Yankees of all time? A huge Yankee fan. Growing up, Mickey Mantle was my hero. All right, you got your whistle. Did it travel all the way to Arkansas? Yeah, wow, I got the did. whistle. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. I'm out. Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Thanks, Kevin. Well, uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, from all across the United States of America today. Today we have Mark McDermott, Kevin, president at Touching Hearts at Home. Mark, thanks for being on the show. And I just glad wanted, to be here. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you. We've heard a lot about you. We have uh, Anne-Marie Cook on after you, just right after this show. So we have a lot to live up here, guys. <laughs> All right, well, let's put our noggins together and make this work now. Um, I was just going to kick it off. Uh, Kevin mentioned you're, a, you're an avid fly fisherman, Mark. Um, what's the best river uh, you've, you've ever fly fished in the country? You know, we have some great ones in this area. Um, I, I would have to say, though, uh, the Osable up in the Adirondacks is an amazing trout stream uh, and, and a beautiful one. So I've really, I've only done that a couple of times, but really enjoyed that. Been fishing out west a little bit in in the Wyoming and in Colorado, but honestly, I love Awaka Creek here and mm. over in uh, Scottsville, and I love to do some tributary fishing uh, in Hamlin, Sandy Creek. Uh, we have world class fishing around here, so it's it is pretty cool. That's and I'm getting into fly fishing in in the in the saltwater too, which is a lot of fun. Um, but uh, Holy that's, cow, that's, that's that I have never even seen that. That's probably feel that real cool to be, get one of those on the line. Yeah, wow. I want to get a tarpon. That's sort of the life dream to catch a tarpon on a on a fly rod. But <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we'll see. Some some dream of world domination, others dream of catching a tarpon on a fly reel, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, fly fishing is much better than world domination. Who wants that? <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask you, you Putin is trying that now and it's not working out very well for him. Exactly. Exactly. Look at how, look at how those egos get people in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> well, I saw that uh, fun fact about you. You went to Boston college and, uh, and, and oddly enough, it was the same time as uh, Mr. Wonderful potentially in upstate New York, Doug Flutie uh, was also attending Boston college. Well, did you ever get a chance to, to meet him at uh, Boston College and go to a few of those games? Oh, well, I went to a lot of games. Um, he was a freshman when I was a senior. And I remember we were having a bad season and he was not starting. And it was one of the last home games of the season. Uh, and, and off the bench comes this guy, number 22, <laughs> who's, who's 22? You know, <laughs> That's a quarterback. My quarterback is 22. <laughs> And he looks like he's about five, five. <laughs> and all I remember thinking is we're in a really bad way. I mean, this, this is pathetic. And he immediately just lit up the, you know, right away. There was something different about him. And, um, and, and of course I watched him closely the rest of his career, including the Hail Mary pass. I was in law school when that occurred. And, uh, Wow. Yeah, it was cool. I didn't, I saw him once or twice on campus, but yeah. pretty, pretty big place. And, you probably uh, walked right by him because he was only 5'5". Five, five. You never saw him play before. Uh, <laughs> a little surprised he didn't ask for advice, but, you know, he managed to do okay anyway. 
Number 22. Uh, that highlight of him throwing that Hail Mary always confused me as a kid. I was like, is that the running back throwing a, yeah, throwing right. a halfback pass? You know, right. you, you, you see the, the highlight all the time. And uh, Kevin also mentioned you're, you're a Yankee fan, Mark. I was just going to ask you, what, who are your top three Yankees of all time? A huge Yankee fan. Growing up, Mickey Mantle was my hero. I grew up in New Jersey. He was, I would say, Mickey Mantle was number one. Um, I'm going to sort of limit it to the people I actually saw because, of course, you can go, you can spend the rest of the day talking about the old guys, but love Mariano Rivera, just love the guy, and I have to, I have to say Derek Jeter. Oh, absolutely. Was such a class, such a class act. And did you know there's a myth that the longest home run ever to be hit in the recorded history is out of Springfield, Missouri, of all places, by Mickey Mantle? Yeah, <laughs> that is. A... <laughs> I have heard that. I saw him play in Yankee Stadium when when the some of his last couple of years, and it was I do remember him hitting a home run. It was it was awesome. Awesome. Oh, so yeah, I hope they they, they the, these baseball people are trying to find ways to blow it. You talk about leadership, and I think these leadership guys in the and for the union and for the uh, Major League Baseball, they're yeah. They're managing to like grab defeat out of the jaws of victory by mm -hmm. by possibly going on strike. So yeah, yeah, yeah that is interesting to see how that plays out. You brought up leadership, so I so we always love to kind of learn more about the leaders that uh, that and the work that they do and how they found their ways into leadership. So I would love to hear your story, but I still want to learn a little bit more about the man of Mark. What is your favorite music? If you had to hear one song and one song only for the rest of your life on repeat, Mark, what would that song be? That would be a Beatles song. I'm a big Beatles fan. And um, that's when it gets really hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, I, maybe the, the long and winding road. I just, okay. And I, Boy, I've listened to that a million times. I'll listen to it another million times, and it's great every time. Hey, my mom, my, we, we, have you watched the, the Disney special yet on them? My mom was just talking about that. I'm in the middle of it. It's, it's like fascinating. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoying it. Well, talking about leadership there, what happened with the group? Why did it fall apart in your estimation, Mark? You know, I think I think like a lot of people, they change. You know, young, young people in particular. When I say young, I mean they they were only what in their twenties, maybe or maybe around thirty. People are changing so much, you know, still at that age and finding their way in the world. And boy, they went through a lot together, and they had a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways, I think they just couldn't express themselves as a group anymore. Um, contrary to common belief, I don't think it was just Yoko. Yeah. Even though she is annoying sitting there next to John the whole time. Um, so I, I really think it was a natural progression. These, all these guys are amazingly talented and you know, they needed to shine themselves and express themselves. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they, they certainly did after that. Yeah. yeah. The older I got, that really hit me, you know, going from twenties to thirties, you know, I'm like, why did that band change their sound? It's like, yeah. dude, they went from age 19, bro, right. to like 31. Right. <laughs> I, like, oh, I yeah. get it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those guys where the Beatles were together, so I think George was 13 or 14 when wow. they joined the Beatles. I mean, imagine that. Um, so, yeah, the natural human progression um, of people who had a lot to offer the world, for sure.
Yeah. And it looks like you have a lot to offer the world. Mark, you have <laughs> offered the world. You know, I was going through your bio. I was scratching my head a little bit. I was like, who the heck practices law is the director of corporate and HR, an HR department and owning, operating a manufacturing company. <laughs> I mean, talk about no fear here. Can you kind of dive into how you tackled all this and where it began? Yeah, you know, I've had really four separate careers at this point, and um, which I guess is becoming more common. Um, and I wouldn't have expected, you know, when I was even a freshman in college, I wouldn't have expected any of it. But I was a political science major at BC. And, you know, other than cocktail conversation, I had to figure something to do next. <laughs> uh, and I had a great constitutional law professor at BC, better than the one I ended up having in college. And so I, I thought that was going to be law. Turns out the practice of law is not mostly about constitutional history and it's about mundane things like, yeah, I'm gonna sue that guy, he owes me a thousand bucks. So I didn't find the practice of law you know, rewarding. I did it for 10 years. And what I did find rewarding was sort of issues around employment and work organizations. And so I migrated into labor and employment law and then sort of joined a company in-house to do that. Then that sort of, I thought about business management and then I got into HR and the big, the biggest change was leaving law, um, which was not an easy decision because you put so much into getting there. Right. No kidding. After, after that, it was, I joined a family business um, to do the manufacturing and uh, that was a big departure as well. Um, I didn't know anything about manufacturing. I, I'm not, a, I'm not oriented that way. I'm not an engineer. I'm not, I'm not good with my hands. I mean, it's just not. So that was a big, big learning. And, and the hardest, probably the hardest job I ever had was running a custom vinyl business products manufacturing plant. Hardest wow. job, I think. Wow. But I think the common theme of what I know and know to be true about you as a leader, Mark, is that you understand people, right? And I think when you understand people, and, and yes, you can learn the business, right? But you also, when you understand what motivates people, how, how to get the most out of them, how to motivate them, how to keep them happy, you know, and create that safe environment for them to, to perform and perform at their best. And I know you're doing creative things. And one of the things that I wanted to, to kind of bring to light um, was the awesome thing that I saw during the pandemic uh, where you kind of put a safety net um, for your employees. So it, I, those are the kinds of things that just tell me that you understand people. How did you understand, when did you come to that realization, I guess, in your, your journey as a leader? Because I know you're, you've been, you're a member of the YPO um, and, and you, you have worked on a number of boards and, and for some really incredible organizations. But when did you come to that realization that it is people and if we prioritize people, then we get the outcomes that we're, we're looking for? You know, I'd love to say that I started out my career thinking that way, but I really didn't. You think about being a lawyer and, and sort of some of my instincts, particularly early on, were very much about logic and about finding right answers and sort of being, you know, um, it was not more of a knowledge approach. And mm. earlier, earlier on in my career, I thought if I could just show that something was the correct way to do things or, you know, appeal to people's reason, that should be enough, right? And I really learned in some, you know, very concrete ways over time that, no, that's not really, <laughs> that really almost doesn't work. It rarely works. 
And so I really started to shift my focus, you know, maybe 20 years ago to really be thinking, no, you know, it's really more about appealing not to the knowledge side of people, but to but gaining trust mm-hmm. and about, about meeting people's emotional as well as their intellectual needs or other needs. And that in the workplace, it's about relationships. I mean, it's sort of what everything is about in life. And, it's, and it took me a while to realize that in the work context. Wow. Wow. Well, I love how you said relationships. This guy up here to my top left, Kevin, taught me that one. You know, I remember I was trying to get into a law firm up there in Rochester for like 98 phone calls, 88 emails. And Kevin was like, oh, yeah, put my name in the email. I was like, that's not going to work. I put my name, his Kevin Rustici in the email. The guy gets back to me in five minutes, you know, you know, books a meeting on my calendar. I was like, all right, I, I get it, guys. I get it. He is, he is a master. <laughs> yeah, his, I don't know, Bob. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here, fellas. Is, I, think, I think he learned most of it from his wife, though. Yes. She is, she is that way, too. She's amazing. Yes, I. Uh, she was. She was in the professional world before I was. I was still shining shoes at a cobblestone creek country club. So she was. She was definitely teaching me some tricks about the the world of business. But, Mark, what you what you kind of said right there, and I wanted to go back to it and highlight it is that you 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 change from a knowledge approach, almost like a know it all, right? And, and I think that that's kind of like what we all see, and everybody hates. Everybody hates a know it all, but sometimes. In order to establish expertise or credibility and accountability, people do that, right? Um, it's maybe just a human instinct or our nature to, 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 to go to those types of norms. And I think you are one of the most egoless people that I've ever met. Um, and I don't know if it was coached out of you. I don't know if it was beaten out of you by your mother. Um, but you really do not have an ego and you're, you're, you're okay with taking the back seat and letting your team do what they, you hired them to do. How did you come to that comfort level and really kind of that hands off and really trust that you hired the right people and they're going to do what you hired them to do? Yeah, I'm lazy. <laughs> really, I like when other people do the work. Um, now I, you know, I, I, I think that in terms of the ego part, I certainly do have an ego, but o- over time I- I've sort of, um, and this is where YPO, my experience in young presidents organizations helped a lot. Um, I've got a great group of people who are sort of my bo- personal board of directors and we've done, done some hard work around vulnerability and around um, humility and, um, and how important that is in developing relationships. And so I've, I've sort of, I'm much less, you know, when I was younger, I was probably a lot more defensive and, you know, trying to prove something. And I think oh, over time, I've, I've tried hard to be willing to listen to criticism and find a better way. I'm, I'm, I really am a big believer that, that multiple perspectives yields a better result. So the only way you get multiple perspectives is if, is if you act in a way that encourages it particularly in the workforce, no matter when you're the boss, there's people who are going to be, it's going to be very hard for them to put anything out on the line Mm. in terms of ideas and initiatives, because there's always that potential that they may get, if it doesn't work, they'll get done. So a lot of people are reluctant in the workplace, but I think if you really create an atmosphere that is of trust, and one of the ways to do that is to show people that you make mistakes, you're human, 
it's not a find them and fire them sort of situation and um, and to put your ego aside to some degree and, and see let people see the human side of you. Mm. It always is nice when your leader doesn't really, you know, tells you when they messes up, you know, it, it does yeah. something to you, you know, it's like, uh, it, it, it gives me a sense of freedom to mess up, not like, you know, on purpose, but, you know, to, and, and to work without fear, you know, and, and Mark, I think I touched on that a little bit ago. Uh, you seem like you have no fear at all. I mean, with, with, you know, going to law school, getting out of law school, you know, doing all these different, you know, four careers is a pretty, pretty uh, gutsy move, I think. Where, where'd you learn the fear factor? I mean, did, did that just come up? Are you just a, a wild man who just loves to do different things or, or how, how'd you, how'd you learn to deal with fear? You know, I think it, it uh, you know, my dad, I had a great mentor, my dad, he had corporate jobs and did very well there, you know, it's a high level in the corporate world. And um, you know, I saw him take some chances in his career. And I think, you know, I, I sort of look back on college and law school as, as a time where I built a lot of confidence uh, in my abilities, whereas I don't think I was particularly confident as a kid, you know, I could not particularly unconfident, but I think in, in those experiences of, of doing well uh, academically, I built confidence that present, being presented with new situations, um, I could, you know, I, if I was diligent and I kept my nose to the grindstone, I was nice to people and, you know, I would be able to succeed. Um, sort of, I just, I gained the confidence that change could be good. I also had sort of a nice, I mean, I had the luxury of a family that was highly supportive and I sort of knew that what's the worst that can happen here if I, if I fall on my face, it's not like I'm gonna be, you know, like some people in our area are, if they fail, they're, they're in bad shape. There's a lot of people in bad shape if things don't go right. I, I was really fortunate to never be in that situation. And I love what you said about, uh, but you stopped yourself. You said change could be good because I think what Tyler was explaining there with getting over the fear factor is these, these key life events or critical life events of change, right? And I think that a lot of people can relate to this right now. We're seeing people change total uh, uh, careers, right? They have done something for 25 years of their life and all of a sudden they're, they're jumping ship and doing something entirely different. And you've had to do that four times. <laughs> How did you get yourself comfortable with change and understand, was it more of an understanding that change is inevitable or what, what did it take Mark McDermott to get comfortable with change and really then harness getting comfortable with change and seeing more opportunities than most probably in the market? Well, part of it is I was pretty unhappy at the times that I sought something else. I, you know, my career, I was bored or I was just didn't see a path forward that I was going to find acceptable or I wasn't finding meaning in the work. And sort of getting into the senior care world, that I was really driven there by, not by economic necessity or by, um, you know, I was working with my brothers or great guys. It wasn't a question of anything like that, but I wasn't finding meaning. Um, so some of the time I was just really unhappy doing what I was doing. And, you know, I thought, you know, life's short, let's take a chance here. And I, I should be able to succeed at that next thing. And that next thing looks logical to me. You know, it looks like, Every, every move I've made, I thought that I'm, I'm going to really learn something there. I'm going to, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to benefit in the long run, sometimes even by taking something that looked like a parallel path 
or one that wasn't going to pay more money, at least at the time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I just heard you say is that the belief that I am going to succeed first. And I think that that will, that propelled everything else that then followed, but that intention of yours and setting that intention was so powerful. That's, that's awesome, Mark. Thank you. And I also think, you know, like you just mentioned, I think if you have purpose and passion for something, the money will come um, in a way, you know, not just to yeah. chase the, the economic carrot running around and you know, all, yeah. you know, you probably die doing that. But I was, I wanted to ask you, how'd you get into uh, opening Touchy Hearts at home, Mark? So I was, I was not happy doing the family manufacturing business, good business, great. My brothers are great, but I just didn't see that change. I didn't see my role changing for the duration. Um, and I wasn't finding a lot of meaning in it. Um, my brother, Tom, who is one of who was my partner in the Touching Hearts business, actually um, identified this franchise opportunity to help older people. And at about that time, my mom was had been suffering from ovarian cancer for years and uh, had actually had just passed away when Tom came to me one day and said, you know, I think you should join me in this business. I think we'd be good partners to which I reacted, in what universe do you think we would be good partners and that I would be interested in senior care? <laughs> Tom and I fought constantly. We were not, we did not get along most of our lives. And I, why would I ever do this? Um, and I didn't know much about older folks. I did see my mother go through what she went through. We had home care and you know, what I really figured out was it makes a big difference when the right people are there in a bad situation like that. And it's a real, you know, when the wrong people are there, no, you're just adding no value whatsoever. So, I, you know, I gave it a lot of thought and I, you know, this, this was probably the biggest risk for me because I went from having a nice paycheck to having no paycheck. This business wasn't making anything. And I went from not work ever working with my brother or thinking about it to working with a brother who historically, you know, we had become closer, but not particularly close. Now we're best friends. But so that was a big risk. And I just didn't even know at the time how much reward I would get out of helping older adults. Wow. Um, you know, that that is it it is an amazing development for me. Uh, not mm -hmm. something that I ever thought of before. That's incredible. And, and it's something that I think, obviously, the opportunity from a business perspective is where some people's eyes start to line up glow. But we've seen that if that's your intention in that marketplace, you're going to get short term wins for not long term success. And you've really been able to establish dominance within this market, I would say, or, or that crown jewel within that everybody knows your brand and everybody knows your team. Um, which is awesome. And I think uh, it speaks to your leadership, but it also speaks to you taking care of your employees and, and, and that mindset that you have. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of get into as well is the, the idea that the seniors are kind of the, the last forgotten place within our society. And this, this population is growing rapidly and, and, and quick. Um, and I, I, I'm fearful of the uh, deficit that we're going to see from those serving the elderly um, but what, what are in your estimation, where, where can we go and how can we improve, I guess, the quality of healthcare for our seniors in this population? Because they took care of all of us and now we should look to them and make sure that they have a quality of life, um, that we would all be respectful of. I mean, wow. What a, what a problem we have. I mean, we had it before the pandemic, 
Um, and now we have it in spades. Uh, you know, and, and to me, the, you know, the people who, uh, pe the older people who have resources are going to be okay. I mean, there's a lot of improvement that could take place in, even in the best skilled nursing facilities, wow. the private pay ones. I mean, I've yet to see one that I would want to. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not, I'm glad, I, and that is no disrespect. And, yeah. but home is home. And, you know, I'm personally probably not well suited to live in a, you know, a tight community like that. But, um, but people with resources, it's probably the way the world's been from the beginning. If you have resources, you know, you're going to be okay. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to get decent medical care for sure. And, sort of get back to the, get back, to, I think, to the issue of how we look at seniors. But, you know, I really feel bad for people without resources because mm -hmm. they're, frankly, they're, if they're just on Medicaid, you know, they're not getting, you know, they're just not getting what they deserve. And what is a country, if you think of our resources, what we can afford. I do think some of this comes down to, we're just gonna have to deal with, frankly, being taxed differently or more so mm -hmm. that we can take care of older people in a way that we can, that, that they deserve. No they don't deserve what they're getting now. Um, but there is still, I think this mentality, I think we have this medical mentality about um, our medical model in this country is that when people get old, they're sort of, we'd have to treat them like they're the diseases yeah. and the conditions that they are and not the people that they are. Hmm. And our, I think our healthcare system does that in a way that's both inefficient and it doesn't meet the, the, the human needs of, of older adults in many, many cases, despite amazing people and, and great talent and great things happening, we're sort of missing the boat on, you know, on, on older people's last years in life and how they can be fulfilling instead of just sort of running out the clock. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Powerful. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading, I'm re I want to make a plug for a book that I'm reading that I really think is phenomenal. It's, it's called Elderhood by Louise Aronson, and she is a geriatrician, and um, it, it, it's really a great perspective on this and how the medical community treats older adults as, you know, a kidney disease problem or a heart disease problem, but um, what I love about geriatric physicians is that they're looking at a, a different, it's a different perspective. And we just have too, way too few of them in our society, way too few of them in Rochester, but we do have some really good ones here. I think it's getting back to the same thing that we're seeing in business that we're all, we're, everybody's striving for is that individual approach and, 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 because everything else is, everything else is now, Netflix is tailored to what I want to watch. Amazon tells me what the heck I want to buy all of these things, right? When, we're, when society is, that, that's what we're our expectations and that it should be no different, like you're saying for the seniors, um, because it could be a quality of life at that point. It's just different activities and different things. But I love how you and, and, and kind of the work of lifespan, obviously, what we're talking to uh, later on today, but the work that you're doing to just ensure that the public knows that there's still people at the end of the day, like you're saying, that's not a disease. It's not, Oh, it's um, whatever the flavor of the week that we're calling for, for, for that. Um, so I love, I love the work that you're doing, Mark. So I appreciate everything that uh, and, and everything that you advocate for as well. Thank you. Yeah. It, 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 I get great. You know, there's not many jobs that you can have in this world in the scheme of things where you can make a good living 
and really feel like every day you're really making a big difference. I mean, this isn't the only one, but there's a lot where there's a lot of jobs where I, I think people don't get both of those things at the same time. So I feel very lucky. Mm -hmm. And of course, the only way to do that is to have a great team of people around you and, um, and try to hire the best people you possibly can who will treat those adults the way, you, the way they should be and as individuals and try to, frankly, try to keep them at home as long as, you know, as long as they can, if that's what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, Leah, talking about some hard work, right? I mean, I've been there. I think we've all been there. Um, helping out a senior. I mean, it's, it's some tough yeah. stuff, you know. You, you do know, not want me to be your caregiver. <laughs> you don't want that. Trust me. You don't want me showing up. I've got people who are great at it. You do not want me. <laughs> it takes a special kind of person, you know, to, to be a no. pro at it. No. I mean, I'm pretty laid back guy, but golly, sometimes that, that just gets me, man. It's like, yeah. this yeah. is tough stuff. Um, that tough I was stuff asking. to do all day long yeah. <laughs> and all night yeah. long. Yeah. Head on a swivel, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mark, how, how many seniors are y'all taking care of at this, mo at this time? At this time, we have about 85 clients in, uh, in Rochester, in Syracuse. We have an office in Syracuse. We have about 45 there. We have an office in Albany and roughly the same there, 40, 45. Um, so some, some we have for years, some we just help for a short period of time. It's very individual. And um, yeah, we have about, you know, we have about 100 caregivers on a, in the payroll in Rochester, about 50 in Syracuse, 50 in Albany. Wow. Awesome. Wow. And, and, and one of the things is you mentioned your, your, uh, your passion for seniors and, and you almost had to come to that discovery of how rewarding that, that, that would be. And I think that a lot of people, again, are, are kind of still exploring to find that purpose or unlocking that purpose. Um, what else, what else, uh, I guess, uh, gets you out of bed? Like what, if you had to say, what gets Mark McDermott out of bed every morning with this energy and this passion, what, 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 what is your morning ritual to just step out and, and be so calm, cool and collected and know like, Hey, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the world. Yeah. My, I get up nice and early usually between <laughs> five and six and have my enough caffeine to get me going. Um, I love going into the office and seeing the people I work with. I would, I really enjoy that. I enjoy the interaction. One thing I love about the senior care world is the people you meet, because unlike when I was a lawyer, um, it wasn't a joy usually to work with other lawyers. Uh, very different mentality. But in the senior care world, you find people who are kind people as a general rule, and they're all trying, you know, they're trying to do good things, and it's much more relationship based. So, part of what gets me out of the morning is not just knowing that we're helping the seniors and their families, but also the privilege of interacting with a community of people who are just, I've really just come to admire and enjoy and build the friendships and the relationships. And uh, yeah, and the idea like working with Lifespan is on the board there. and and starting a new business in geriatric care. You know, the idea that we're sort of making a difference in the number of people we touch and, um, you know, thinking of ways to help older adults that just aren't being done, you know, at this point. Yeah. Do you want to go into that, what, what, what uh, the new business is and, and what, what, why you saw such a need in that geriatric care space? And I guess 
what you didn't see and, and wanted to improve? Yeah, so, you know, it's, the, it's obvious the senior population is growing in touching hearts for 14 years now. I've seen a lot of issues not getting addressed and sometimes the families trying to really do the right thing by their folks, but, you know, none of us go to school or get trained to help our, or very few of us do to help our aging parents. So, you know, the, what's at stake later in life is, is a lot. When you think about, you know, is my mom getting the right medical care? Is she living in the right place? Is she, is she safe at home? Is she gratified? Is she rewarded? Mm -hmm. Those are, there's some huge decisions related to that. And geriatric care management is really the, the can be the quarterback of the team and the sort of the objective um, advisor, the trusted advisor who can help with these really critical decisions and help people who just, you know, it's, it's really difficult for them to know the information and make good decisions. So what I saw in the community is we do have geriatric care managers in the community and we have some good ones, but I also, a lot of them were, um, were, were small organizations that had a limited scope of impact. And so the, you know, I asked Lifespan and Entrusted Care to partner with me to form Together in Caring. And our model is to be a more comprehensive practice um, and, to, um, and, to, and to grow and to cover a larger scope, both breadth and depth of, mm -hmm. of people that we're touching and, and, to, and to hire the best, hire yeah. the best uh, people we can possibly hire. And um, I love so, yeah, that. So, One uh, of the things I wanted to go back to is like, what's at stake, right? Is like, we, we talk about childcare, right? Now childcare is kind of at the, the center point because how am I supposed to work to, you know, how, how are both parents supposed to work, you know, and, and, and provide for the family and we need that dual income, right? Well, I, I anticipate the seniors is going to have the same kind of impact on employees, right? And then that's going to be taking care of my mom or taking care of my father and that additional stressor. What can businesses start doing for their employees, I guess, to address those needs? Because they're bringing those stressors and now they're calling their lawyer and they're trying to figure out all these things on company time. Obviously they're not as profitable and they're not giving as much efficiency back to the organization. I guess, what can businesses start to do to address not only the childcare need, obviously that's assumed, but, but what about the senior care that's, that's gonna be right at their doorstep? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are some you know, laws that are, have gone into effect in the last few years that allow for parental leave for your parents and family leave. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, mainly try to be a decent employer and give people some flexibility wherever possible to, to deal with those, just to be an understanding employer. There are some companies who have employee assistance programs, EAPs, that help connect their employees with resources like Touching Hearts or Together and Caring. Because a lot of times that's really it, is people don't know where to turn. So employers can use their resources to help connect their employees with um, community programs and community resources that will help with, with older adults. I love that. Um, yeah. Because the less yeah. stress that people are bringing to work, they, they can focus on on the work itself. And, and obviously something that you've you figured out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And absent, absenteeism is a major, major issue, for, especially now for, for all of us, almost anybody with a business. You can ask about how, how staffing and absenteeism is, the, is these days. Um, 
So, and you get some poor folks who are in that, that sandwich generation, they're raising their kids and they're taking care of their parents and um, wow. Yeah, either that's... either of those is really difficult. Doing both at the same time is heroic. Yeah, heroic <laughs> is the right word. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, and I was going to ask you, um, I thought you'd do some civics volunteering. And, and can you kind of dive into that? I have no idea what that means. Yeah, that's really being on, you know, it's volunteering time. It's as they call it, time, talent, and treasure with things like boards. Like I've been on the board of Lifespan now. It's just past chair of the board. I was uh, on the Volunteers of America board here in Western New York for 12 years and was chair of that board. Um, you know, I volunteered for other organizations like Grave, Greater Rochester Area Partnership for the Elderly. And, um, uh, you know, some of it is, is just financial giving too, which I mean, some of it, they don't need whatever <laughs> talent I have. They need my treasure. Um, so, you know, that's getting involved. In civic organizations right why now. was that always with so i i'm of the nature of like i volunteer because i i typically wasn't on getting that part of my back scratched right with the, the purpose like you were talking yeah. about earlier it was that why you were so involved in the nonprofit space and, and throughout your career yeah you know it's it's the it's the biblical proverb uh, to whom much has been given of him much is expected and I'm very grateful for what I've been given. I've, I've just had an amazing opportunity in life. I had great parents. I had safety. I had financial resources. Um, I've just been very lucky. And I really feel it's incumbent upon me to try to pay back um, some of that good fortune uh, and, and to find ways to do it that I was passionate about. For the Volunteers of America, they had a great Head Start program. And it was addressing inner city poverty in a lot of ways and lifespan, of course, addressing elder care. I'm on the board now of the Renaissance Academy, which is a charter school in Greece and serves mostly- We just had Dr. Cruz on, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm on that board now. And, you know, I just, I, it just, you know, the state of city schools and inner city poverty, it just has, it has somebody has to do something about it. Yeah. So, those are all areas that I just have a particular interest in. Um, and I, I, I got involved in those civic organizations. And do you as a business owner, Mark, and I think I already know the answer to this question, but do you and a business owner in Rochester feels that you have an important part to play within the community as a business owner, right? Your focus on the inner city, our graduation rates are, are pitiful, right? And we know our poverty rates and that wealth gap distribution is, is sizably different. Uh, it, it leads the country in some cases. Um, it, do you feel as a business owner like that, that you can have a part or you definitely want to have an impact on the community in which you live and work? Yeah, I mean, I, if you, particularly if you look at the history of Rochester and, and what Kodak and Bauschermann and Xerox did to build this community, and now what Paychex is helping to do in the University of Rochester, um, it is sort of the American model. We're not like France where we tax and let the government decide who to, you know, uh, everything about how people without resources are helped. So it really isn't coming upon business people to step up and um, and support those organizations. But it, but in our case also, for example, we employ, you know, we employ some people who are the working poor at Touching Hearts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, by having, you know, fair and hopefully somewhat generous 
um, you know, benefits and compensation within the scope of what you can do in, in this type of organization does help. An example is we have a, um, you know, we have a, a, a benefit called Easy Access MD, which is a telemedicine benefit so that if, um, if a working mom has kids who are sick, they can call a doctor, get a prescription, and even get diagnostic wow. services to come out to that person's house. And that, by doing that, you know, helps that person deal with those issues at no cost, but also helps have that person get to work mm -hmm. sooner and not have to take the whole day off. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are, it's a particular thing that helps people who are sort of, you know, working at that poverty line or at risk of going into the poverty line. Um, it's just way too much of that in Rochester. And you, and you still can find those win-win scenarios like you just described, right? Where the, where it's still a benefit to the individual, but it's still helping the business at the same time. You just have to seek out those, those scenarios, right? Those win-wins. Yeah, um, I mean, having, you know, touching hearts, the, what we offer are people. Yeah. They are our product, they're our service, they're our technology, they're everything. And so we have to be a good employer. We have to be a fair, we have to be an employer of choice. And um, so it makes good business sense as well as it it's, it's makes good sense from a moral perspective. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah. so comforting to hear. <laughs> Absolutely, Mark. And I was gonna ask you, where do you see senior healthcare in about 50 years from now? Wow. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we're going to get better over time at keeping people at home through technology. Uh, I don't think the human part's ever going away, but with the internet of things and sensors, you can see progress in senior medical care. Uh, my dad's got a, my dad's got a, a, a sensor in his chest to monitor his heart rate. I think that's the very beginning of things that are going to monitor people so that they can live safely at home and get help they need, preventive care that they need before there's a crisis. So I really do think it's a technology thing. And home, home care in 50 years, home is still going to be home in 50 years. Right. You know, people are still going to want to live where they've made their home and it's less expensive. So I think the government will also start to, it's a slow process, but it's begun. They'll start to invest more in preventive, preventive actions that help keep people at home longer. I love that. And it's like you said, it's saying it's treating the disease, it's understanding it and, and, and providing and enabling. Um, but it, like you said, people want it. They promise their, their, my parents, my parents are telling me, don't you dare put me in a home. Like we all make this promise <laughs> that you're going to keep us <laughs> like, so I get it. It's a very challenging decision for a lot of people to make, but having a, a trusted resource like touching hearts in the community and what you guys do is just um, awesome because we know it's behind great leadership. As we're wrapping up, Tyler and I understand that you know law, you know employment law, you know HR, you know leadership. We wanted just to ask you kind of a one interview question, if we could. <laughs> sure. We haven't done it in a while. I think it would give you a little flair, a little bit more about learning who Mark is. But Mark, I wanted to ask you, if you could write a book, what would you title it and what would it be about? Wow. Uh... I'd probably not do well in this interview. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated about 
why people, you know, why you and we here are on Zoom, this technology, we're sitting in comfortable rooms, you know, we're all going to eat well tonight. And in Papua New Guinea, there's still people going out and collecting nuts, you know, to try to have dinner tonight and living. I'm fascinated at how people got, the civilizations got to where they are. So, and I, and I think I would probably try to research and write a book on Native American population and um, the progress, how, how, like in this area, maybe how people showed up, first human beings, which is relatively recently in history. It's only 12 or 13,000 years ago and how they populated this area. And mm -hmm. so that's, I, I, I have an interest in sort of social anthropology that way. That's cool. Well, when you write that book, let Tyler and I know, because I, I would definitely read that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And Mark, I was going to ask you more of a, a you question. Uh, where do you get this energy from, man? You, you, you feel like you have a light bulb plugged into you and over there. I mean, I know we're from Zoom, but I can feel your energy over over in, over in this Zoom call. Where, where do you get it from? Is it best practices in the morning? Just let us know what, what's going on over there, Mark. You know, I'm just in a really, it's, I'm in a happy place in my life. I've got a, I've been lucky, you know, I don't have financial worries. My, I've got a wonderful wife. I've got great kids. I live in an, I'm living, you know, I'd be foolish not to be grateful and happy because I'm lucky. Yeah. It's been a lucky life so far. So, um, and I get to talk to people like you. This is fun. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm past the really, really, really hard work in my career. Yeah. And in raising children and that sort of thing. And, um, so it's a, it's a yeah. fun time. In I can life. I can imagine how rewarding it is too to see your children. Um, today, Angelo turned eight months, so I can only imagine how rewarding it is as a father, but as a business owner, and all these things are really just coming to fruition at this point. And yeah. and what you just said is it would be foolish not to be grateful. But how many people do not stop and really realize that they're not collecting nuts in New Guinea? To put food on their table and that they have a warm house that her heat is always on the electricity rarely goes out some of these things that we take for granted every day that not everybody in this world has the same luxuries so um, I just wanted to say thank you so much um, for being an incredible guest Mark and actually saying yes to Tyler and I hate to do this fun interview that you absolutely crushed so thank yeah, you so Mark, much thank you yeah it was great great uh, talking to you guys thank you very much for having me Oh, Thank you, course. Mark.